0: Welcome to the SubClub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing app businesses. We sit down with the entrepreneurs, investors, and builders behind the most successful apps in the world to learn from their successes and failures. SubClub is brought to you by RevenueCat. Thousands of the world's best apps trust RevenueCat to power in-app purchases manage customers and grow revenue across iOS, Android, and the web. You can learn more at revenuecat.com. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host David Bernard, and with me today RevenueCat CEO Jacob Biding. Our guest today is Emmanuel Crovisier, founder of Card Pointers, an app that makes it easy to optimize credit card rewards and has saved users over $200 million. Emmanuel took card pointers from zero revenue to a full-time gig in less than a year. On the podcast, we talk with Emmanuel about the magic of affiliate marketing, how to best use Stripe payments, and why you should probably build a web app before you build a native one. Yeah. So I wanted to kick things off. You, you built uh, Card Pointers. It is a credit card app. You know, I kind of talked about it in the introduction. But first of all, I, I just want to hear your, your background in apps and what inspired you to build Card Pointers. And of course, it's an incredible story of how you've built the company over time. But, but how, how did you even get inspired to build it?
1: Thanks. Yeah. So um, my history with iOS apps goes way back to uh, the very first release of, uh, of the SDK. Um, so I've been kind of playing around with uh, with iOS over the years. Um, and uh, card pointers in particular came out of uh, my own need. Um, I was traveling more and more and uh, needed, uh, basically, I'm um, very cheap. So or frugal, however you want to put it. <laughs> um, and I wanted to not pay uh, for flights, basically, or get them as cheap as possible. Um, and so I kind of got turned on to the, uh, the whole world of credit card rewards, which is um, this whole kind of fascinating hobby and world uh, in and of itself. Um, but even just getting lightly into it, it's really easy way, um, to get flights, uh, basically for free or for just a few bucks in taxes, just with some credit card sign up bonuses and using the right credit cards. So that's kind of how it started. I wanted to better optimize when I was using my cards, kind of keep track of everything. And also to help uh, my parents who were calling me pretty much every few days, asking me which card should they <laughs> use for a gas purchase? Which one should they use for a supermarket purchase? Um, and so I kind of went over the top and, uh, yeah, built out this uh, this whole app to kind of serve that purpose and, and help them out originally, and it's kind of grown from there for sure. Nice. And
0: then, so you you had experience working on iOS for for 14 years now. I mean, since the apps were launched, then tinkering with the SDK, and then you also had experience with subscriptions early in the the uh, iOS five days.
1: Yeah, exactly. I used to work for. Uh, I used to be in the media industry. Um, so I worked for a few different magazine publishing companies. Um, and, uh, at the time I was employed by, uh, it was Sandow Media, who owns a number of publications and, uh, Newsstand had just came out back in 2011, I think it was with iOS five. And I think that was the very first subscription product uh, from Apple. Yep. Um, yeah. And so, dark, uh, dark yeah, 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 totally. Very, very different. Um, definitely wish I would have had revenue cap back then because dealing with the the receipts and everything was uh was not. I fun. mean it's the
2: same, right? Like it was store kit though, right? Like yeah, I only I, exactly. I, I really worked on it. I worked on news actually I worked on, on the other side on the SK side, I worked on newsstand itself, like some of the entitlements and how to get listed in there. I didn't work on the purchasing side though. So it was it was the, what we have today is in my understanding is a descendant of what the newsstand recurring subscription functionality was.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing how long some things can stick around at Apple. It's like core data has been around for 15, 20 years, something like that. Um, It's kind of never died, just kind of evolves over time. Uh, But yeah, it's exactly it was that product. Um, And so that was kind of gave me my first insight into just how much revenue one could make, especially with a subscription, um, because people were used to subscriptions for the magazine industry. um, And so everyone had no problem at all signing up for like a one year subscription. It just kind of made sense. And um, we had the good fortune of uh, of being there on day one of newsstand, especially for iPad, where it really blew up. And um, that's where I kind of saw the value of being there on day one. Um, If you can get Apple's attention and get featured, you stay in those top lists for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, With two of the publications, they were a top 10 newsstand app for almost a year. Um, And like the influx of revenue was crazy. And I had access to all that because I built everything myself. Um, So I kind of was... Generating reports for the CEO of the company and everything, um, and that's where I was seeing like multiples of my revenue, like in year, just on a subscription. And I was like, "Hmm, this is really interesting." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to get into this one day.
2: That's interesting. I had I had never heard uh, a ton of glowing reviews and praise for Newsstand, and for those folks who probably never seen Newsstand, <laughs> like <laughs> it was this it, essentially an icon on the desktop or on the the home screen for iPads only, I believe initially. That you could tap into, and it looked... It was back in the skeuomorphic days still, which it was awesome. It looked like a bookshelf. You <laughs> So, like, Apple iOS V1 vibes about the whole thing. You'd tap in, and then they would be, like... And they they even had bigger app icons, too. They weren't, like, the standard squircles. They were, like... They looked like books, I think. Um, but was there? there must have been a link to the App Store from in there as well, I would guess, to, like, find... New yeah, there apps.
1: was. It takes you right to the newsstand section of the app store. Yeah, so
2: there you go, right? Like, two, you're two taps away if you're in the top list of newsstand apps. Like, that's a really sticky, powerful channel, right? Yeah. Everybody else I'd heard about it complained because it was like, oh, I want my apps going to be buried under another, like, <laughs> this is before folders as well, right? So it was like a second tier down on the, the home screen. Um, so that's really fascinating. And it goes back to as well, like a time gone by. Before all the iOS app store editorial changes and everything where business development with Apple really was like a massive channel, like if you could get it to work and like get them to feature you and become one of their darling apps like you really could, you know, there's also probably two orders of magnitude fewer apps back then than there are now so slightly different world. (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was kind of the start of like a custom icons in a way, because you could have custom artwork that was mm. on that shelf of new change the
2: cover, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And it was like, there's this icon and everyone's home screen. No one had anything to fill it with. So everyone would tap on it, tap on the store. And then if you were in the top 10, there you are. And people would download yeah. the app and they'd probably try it out. At least go for a, I don't know if there's a free trial, but yeah, they would do a subscribe that way.
0: So fast forward back to a couple of years ago, you've, you have experience with subscriptions and you started Card Pointers as a, as a side project, right? And, and so, what, were you, what, what, what was your, your full time gig at the time? And what was that like building uh, Card Pointers nights and
1: weekends? Yeah, it was, uh, it was exhausting uh, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I started, this is actually, it's evolved in, um, through a few different ways. It's kind of something I started working on going back about eight years ago, is when I really got into the, uh, the whole credit card rewards hobby. Um, And so I built out an app that didn't really gain much traction, ended up shutting that down. That was similar in some parts of functionality as Card Pointers. Um, Relaunched uh, a lot of the database and some other stuff I had done there as a Facebook bot when those were first uh, Mm. announced for Messenger bots. Um, I really thought that was going to be my big break and I was going to be right there for the gold rush. Nothing happened there. So (laughs) very, very few users. Um, And then kind of fast forward a few years, I still had the same problem with uh, credit card rewards and um, so kind of my third try at it, uh, I built out a, um, a progressive web app, kind of test out my idea. I was trying to not fall in the trap that many developers fall in, which is just develop, 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 and, and never actually make sure that there's a use case and not market it. Um, and so I kind of tested the concept with a, a simple web app that I put together in about a week or two, using a lot of the database stuff I'd built uh, from the previous years for the kind of aborted projects there and um i gained some good traction kind of right away on reddit uh, i posted about it um mm-hmm. had a i think it was like a hundred users or so like in the first day um wow. which already kind of exceeded my expectations and more than the messenger bot version had done and uh, i kind of promised myself that i wouldn't build the ios app which is always kind of my first love uh, <laughs> as as far as development stuff goes um and so i made myself wait uh, until i got to i think it was five thousand users just a web app mm. before it stopped <laughs> start building the iOS app.
2: That's, that's such a great, like uh marshmallow experiment, right? Uh, I was always here, like where you, uh, you know, they measure as like a delayed gratification thing. Like if you can leave the marshmallow, the kid can leave the marshmallow on the table. We'll get two marshmallows later, right? Like that's mm. such a true thing, like in development with skipping ahead or like wanting to do the thing that you find cool and skip through that grind of having, you know, cause if you can make a crappy product, that's like to you probably if you were coming at it not knowing what the purpose of it was you might and actually want to ask you about that but like um you might turn your nose up at it or be like this is too ugly or unusable or whatever but if you can get people to use that then you're good right because then it's just it's just polished and it's just like like shining it so i'm gonna ask like for your for your progressive web app for for those listening that just means like a website for mobile that kind of looks like an app essentially right Oh, uh, you didn't put it in it. Did you put it in an app container on the store? Or did you just you just had a a dot com you went to?
1: No, it was literally just a, just a website back then. It was good dot com. And that's all it did. Uh, really simple. It used the, the big database of cards I'd built up over the years. Um, but yeah, it's just a, just a really simple website written in view and just optimized for uh, yeah, iPhone and Android size screens.
2: Did it did it have logins and all that stuff? Or was it just just uh, just a, a site you could go to?
1: Yeah, no, everything's been based on, on user IDs, um, which has been important too for uh, some stuff that we'll probably get to later on as far as actually reaching uh, back out to users and offering them discounts and everything. But uh, it always required user accounts because everything was was tied to a user record and that mm-hmm. way people could log in on multiple devices. And I knew long-term, I was hoping it would be successful so that I could then build iPhone app and Android app and
2: yeah. kind of expand that out. Well, sorry, one last question on the PWA thing. Like what were, what were some of the decisions that you had to make we're, we're, you know, your, your heart is in building a great iOS app, right? But you, you had to go like, no, I'm not going to care about this. I'm just going to make it work for user testing. Like what's, what were some of the th- corners you cut? Um, well, I mean, obviously view is a very different technology and building for the web is a very different like capabilities, but what were some of the things you had to be like, no, not going to do this right now. I'm going to focus on, on these things instead until I'm ready.
1: Yeah I mean I was just going for a kind of the the core functionality um solving that use case which was which card do I use for which purchase to maximize my points and save money um so that that was the core functionality and I wasn't too concerned at that point about monetization it was just something I mm. built on the side I was working for um uh, kind of a, another company back then so this was really just like some stuff I put together on nights and weekends and I I didn't want to invest too much into it time-wise and, and monetarily speaking because I just from everything else I had done before, it had never really taken off, and I've mm-hmm. been trying to find like a, the right idea and, and you know iterating on this idea um, you know over many many years, and just nothing had taken off until uh, until this one eventually. Yeah, and did. until
2: you have that first sign of traction, you don't want to like overinvest, right? Which I think is just you know takes wisdom though, takes having done that a few <laughs> times probably, right? Overinvesting in projects that don't get traction, and then you're like, well, I think this time I'm gonna try to do it cheap <laughs> and see yeah. how far we get.
1: <laughs> yeah, you learn a lot from failure, that's for sure. Yeah. And were you monetizing
0: the web app uh, via subscription or affiliate links? Or was there any
1: monetization early on? Yeah. So back then, the, the business model that most people in this space follow is um, credit card signups. Um, it's big business. Um, uh, if you refer someone to the right credit card, they can pay out hundreds of dollars um, because those customers are really valuable to the banks. They, I mean, they, that's, once that's you get credit card the
2: car whole business. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they became the billion dollar, seven billion dollar company or whatever they got acquired for.
1: Yeah, that's the same with like the points guy, like all the blog uh, apps, um, all the bloggers and, uh, and a lot of the apps and stuff in the space. My competitors, for the most part, that's their business model. They don't rely on subscriptions or any kind of in-app purchases. So that was the thinking um, I had. Actually, in the beginning, it took me months to actually get that relationship with any banks because no one wanted to talk with just some dude making a web app. <laughs> like They don't understand like what that is. They don't see value in that, um, even when eventually the app came out it was still really hard to get that next step and get those links in place. Um, they just didn't want to take a chance on it. But I was just hoping that eventually I'd figure it out. So um, just kind of kept building. I kept getting traction.
0: And so at what point in that um, starting to get traction did you go ahead and build the app? And then
1: did that start to kind of bend the curve in, in growth? Yeah, so um, I started building the app when I hit that, that 5,000 user mark. I think I was like five users short, uh right at WWDC twenty nineteen. Nice.
2: So this was this was like a um a, a, a goal you had it like written up on the wall or something like five thousand I can't touch Xcode yeah. until five thousand users. Was that five thousand cumulative users or like monthly actives or oh no, just five thousand total users. I okay. want to make sure these five <laughs> thousand people liked lot. what I built. So yeah, yeah, that's a lot. So <laughs> um
1: yeah. So when WWDC twenty nineteen they announced Swift UI. Um, And I always like kind of playing with the new things. I I think that I have that in common with a lot of developers. We like having some playground to play with uh, all the new goodies announced every year. And um, so WWDC announced Swift UI, and that seemed like a great thing to learn. And it was really kind of lightweight. I could get a UI together. So I kind of started working on on that prototype Um, in the evenings after a job I was working for in New York. um, I would just work on the nights on that and started getting a basic proof of concept of an iPhone version of that web app. Um, and I built that out uh, during the uh, during that summer. And um, I was there on day one for the uh, iOS, what is that, 13? Uh, iOS 13 release. Um, was it 14? No, yeah, 13. Um, and uh, I kind of last minute, I put together a watch app because I've liked the Apple Watch for many years. And uh, I had a watch app before in the previous version I had done uh, many years ago. And um, yeah, I kind of put that together in the last week or two right before the launch date and as it turns out i uh, managed to hit the right people at apple um, it was uh, featured as a as a fully independent watch app which is when they had just announced that mm-hmm. and consequently uh apple ended up featuring it really heavily on the launch um, for ios 13 and watch os uh, whatever that was six back then and that caused a huge influx of users um, to the point where like, i'm refreshing my stats and it was like three four users every second and it wow. was just jumping up. I'm like, okay, well, there goes the 5,000. Like, I'm
2: way past that. Now. <laughs> so now I'm going to ask some more ta- technical, like, uh, in the weeds questions. But so it was a standalone web app, or sorry, standalone watch app. Could users, like, sign up and register through it? Or were these just, like, anonymous users you were tracking? Or how much, no, like, what kind of functionality did you squeeze into that tiny, tiny device?
1: Yeah. So uh, it was signing with Apple. That was the first year that was oh, announced. So okay. that was the perfect fit. It was just a
2: one tap, wow. confirm,
1: and you're good to go. And creates an Technological account.
2: Technological innovation, moving <laughs> things forward, right? <laughs> Going to been possible right before that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was
1: key. I, yeah, Otherwise, text input for creating an account would not have worked for a watch. So signing with Apple was a perfect fit for the iPhone and the watch. I think that also helped to getting that Apple feature. Um, but yeah, I mean, users sign up. People were trying it out for the first time signing with Apple. I got um, some decent like attention for that uh, for the month or so leading up with mm-hmm. some test flights. So yeah, that was definitely super helpful, and and that was great because they gave me an email address for the user that only I could use to email them, which is fantastic to protect their privacy. So make sure that no one else can ever you know use that to contact them. But then I have a way to to then offer them discounts and everything else uh, later on. But um, yeah, it's really thanks to that launch and uh, the Apple editorial team that put me on those feature lists that the <sighs> app managed to kind of take off and, and get some traction.
2: Here I was saying that th- those days were over, but uh, they're not. <laughs> 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 like You can still win it big on the App Store if you play, you know, if you're there, you're doing stuff Apple is excited about and, and uh, objectively cool, right? Like you're leveraging their technology in multiple new ways. Um, they will. Did you do anything to get their attention? Did you like reach out or... Like try to get their attention.
1: Yeah, I submitted the promo form that um Mm. uh, that you can do, but I had no contacts at Apple uh, otherwise. Like, there's nothing special about that. I never spoke with anyone at Apple before the release. Um, It was just a matter of filling out that promo form and uh, and hoping that it would get some attention.
2: When it hit, yeah, it it was a friend of mine who sent me. They're like, "Hey, you're featured (laughs) in the App Store." I'm like, "What?" (laughs) (laughs) And then I started checking my stats, and I was like, "Oh, okay, well, wow, that makes sense. That's good." And it all went to the same system. It was based on the same backend, like as your PWA and like all that stuff. So it was just like a continuation of the same project.
1: Yeah, funny enough, like that API that powers the web app, which is still live. Um, it's been backwards compatible the entire time. So any That's user cool. created on day one still has all their information, never had any problems, and still connect to it. It's just... a good
2: argument. A lot of people try to skip the whole like have a have a sign-in and stuff like that, but there's a lot of user benefits if you do it well and you do it from the beginning. I've see, I see a lot of apps that are now getting to scale and they're like, oh, we've never required it, which like kind of has been a good piece of advice. Like, you don't want additional friction in your onboarding funnel, but I don't know. I think unless your app is very, very thin, I think there's a lot... A lot of good arguments for for having an account sign up process, even if you lose some people. Like um the the benefits to the business and to the user, honestly, like downstream are, are I think worth the the sign up friction. So that's great.
1: Yeah, I basically never see it as a blogger. There's a little bit of drop off, but not enough to be worried about. Right now, yep, users
2: that we're gonna be life changing for you anyway, right? So yeah,
1: exactly. And if it's a one tap sign in and something you can trust, like it's not Facebook login, right? It's sign in with Apple um and so there's some inherent trust but there's also confusion there which is a whole other matter but um yeah it's 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 great to have user accounts properly so you can reach out to them so i think part of the key jacob
0: to what you were just saying is that you know in the in the old days of of paid apps apple featuring you would be an automatic influx of revenue these days you can get a huge influx of users from getting featured But you got to turn that into a business. So, you know, a a social app that's free that goes viral, you know, if you've got that viral loop, it can go. But it's so many apps, they just get featured, get a bunch of users. They don't retain those users. They don't monetize those users. And then, you know, it just goes to nothing.
2: Yeah. Like if you didn't have that email list, like that could have pop, could have gone and came and went. And you might not have been able to really convert that into anything. Right. Um, If you didn't have that like group you could remarket to and re engage that were like interested.
0: So, how did you turn that? Traction, all these downloads coming in, to then actually building a business on top of it. And and again, we're, did you was that launch when you introduced subscriptions, or, or were you still just monetizing via
1: uh, credit card signups at, at that point? Yeah, so at that point on the launch day, um, I still didn't really have any partnership links set up, so I wasn't making any money at all off of it. Um, funny enough, like because I got that influx of users and I had these features on the app sort of point people to. Um, that I was able to then use to get some links. So hmm. I started getting some credit card affiliate links, uh, about a, a few weeks after that. And that was from a result of, of hitting LinkedIn and messaging all these people at companies. Cause no one was replying to me. And I'm right. like, I'm bound to find somebody who's uh, nice.
2: Never go through official channels, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. just you... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, officially. Uh, so I finally landed uh, my first affiliate there. Um, the problem is then dealing with banks and compliance is an absolute nightmare, especially as an indie.
2: What sort of compliance do you have to, I mean, just in terms of like, I wouldn't even, I mean, I think you, wouldn't you just get a link and send, if the user clicks on it, end of story? No, no that's there's, not.
1: there's tons of rules. <laughs> like they want to make sure like you can't put like certain banks next to other banks. That That's a uh, rule for some of them. Oh, other times they need to make sure the information is always accurate, updated like within like a few hours. Um, they need to make sure they're the right disclosures. Um, mm. It's a real pain. And it's one of the things that I, I've decreased um, as time has gone on with the business. Um, and we'll get into subscriptions uh, shortly, I'm sure. Um, but um, yeah, I've been trying to, to reduce how much revenue comes in from that. And I'm much more focused on the subscription revenue. It It's a pure business model for me. Users are paying me directly for something that benefits them. Whereas with the credit card affiliate link, there's always kind of this unknown is like, is that person Who's, who you're right serving, match? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't want to put someone in a bad position where they're going to go into debt. Like credit cards are great if you use them properly. If you pay them off like every month and you just get the rewards, then you're beating the bank. You're taking advantage of them, (laughs) not the other way around. And so much of the banking industry is based on taking advantage of those people with those, you know, 20, 30% APRs per year. I mean, it's it's insane, but they make tons of money off of it from people who don't know how to use credit cards, right?
2: I mean, if they'll pay you 500 bucks, you know, just for a a referral or whatever it is, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's substantial money, right, for a sign up. You can't imagine what they're, they can afford that CAC, like. Yeah, they, they must be making a lot of money, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, their their user value is yeah extremely high. So,
0: um, yeah. <laughs> so, so after, and, and I didn't realize this, this story went quite so far back. So this is fun to get the the full story. So after eight years of kind of tinkering in the space, uh, months or years of a progressive web app, you finally launch an app, but your your first actual revenue wasn't until the fall of twenty nineteen. Then. Um, and then, so how did that revenue start building over time? And then when did you shift to, to the subscription model?
1: Yeah. So even back then, even when I had those links, the banks didn't want to trust me for like the bigger, the, the main ones. (laughs) So I couldn't get any chase links. I couldn't get Amex links. And those are the most popular cards, especially in the credit card awards game. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would make like 50 bucks a month for for a good few months and I was like okay well this isn't going too great I got all these users I can't really monetize them because I can only have links for cards nobody wants um so that started finally getting better I got into another program around um mid uh 2020 or so and so that started increasing um and then it was um November of 2020 when people kept asking me if uh, I could if there was some way that they could send me money I was like, okay, that's an interesting problem. Um, <laughs> I like money. They want to give me their money, so let with me find that, a way put that on to my
2: list of, uh, of signs of product market fit. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly.
1: Um, and so my first thought was I was going to add a tip jar inside the app. I didn't know, I couldn't think of a, I didn't think of a subscription. Like I didn't think of what I could add there. So I just started coding up a little tip jar. And um, as I did that, there was a, a friend um, who uh, had built out an open source Swift UI app and he was using Cat. And so like I saw like the simple code there. I pulled it out down from GitHub, kind of looked over that. And I was like, okay, this is all super clean. Um, it's literally still to this day, the only third party framework I have in my app at all. Don't have anybody <laughs> else. I like doing everything myself. I don't trust other people with data. So I'm very, very careful about that for my users. Um, and so as I was building out the tip jar, I was like, oh, there's a subscription system. I wonder if I could put together like some kind of like a pro tier, what I decided to call it. And I was like, okay, what am I going to give the users who want to give me some money per month and per year? Um, All right. They can customize colors on the dashboard and um, I'll hide like this one feature behind uh, like a paywall. Um, And that's all I could think of at the time. So I was like, okay, just got to get it out there. And it's kind of what I've done all the time with the app is just get some things out there, build kind of like, I MVP pretty much like every feature that I do like in the app. And sometimes it means, like, a lot more work for me because, um, like, until I automate it or until I see, like, that it makes sense mm. for folks. And um, so that's what happened with subscriptions. I was like, okay, I'm just going to get this version out there with the tip jar and uh, and this pro tier. And literally, I, I uh, submitted it. Um, it uh, took a few days to get approved. Um, and then within, like, an hour or so of going live, I had my first uh, – I don't think I had trials back then. No, I did have trials. I got my first trial start back then. Uh, I was like, wow, okay, that's awesome. Like, that happened really quickly. And people are going with a pro tier, and then uh, a week later, I had my first conversion. And um, fast forward that month, I think it made like a few hundred dollars, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I was like, if I can get to a thousand dollars a month, that'd be enough to like lease like a really cool car
2: because I'm a car guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like cars like that. That's uh, well, all I well, want. After Apple's cut <laughs> and taxes and everything, you know, let's think about things through. But you know, it's <laughs> a good idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so that was my goal it was like you know, if I can make at least a thousand bucks a month, I can cool, get like a cool car and I'll be really happy. It's be a great side project and, you know, kind of go from there. But um, yeah, then uh, things kind of kept taking off there. Um, I had a, another big feature uh, from Apple um, around December of that year. So that was really good. Got an influx of trials and then I started
2: making the pro tier actually um, actually uh, uh, useful for folks. Yeah, did you in that first launch when you first threw in subscriptions, like did you introduce it to your existing user base? Did you just kind of like throw it in the corner? Like I'm guessing from an MVP approach, you probably just kind of snuck it in a natural flow, but um uh like did you do anything to like let them know?
1: Yeah, so it was basically um, because it was uh it was a new feature that I'd added, which is what I gated at first. And even to this day, any I still have a really generous free tier, and that's always been important to me because I genuinely want people to use their credit cards better. So the pro tier is great because it, it adds features, but the core functionality, which is what that progressive web app was launched with, um, which is, you know, which card to use for which category that continues to be free for everybody. So you can just quit out of the paywall and you can use the app forever for free. And I'm happy about it. I love having new users like I genuinely do. Um, so that part has always stayed there. So as I've been adding new features, some will be for free, some will be just for the pro tier. Um, So I'm trying to always keep like a balance there to keep it moving forward for the free users, but helping to add a lot more benefits and make, you know, know, make this game even easier for the folks who are willing to put a little bit of money into it. They'll get a lot more out of it.
0: Yeah. So then so revenue started building over 20, the fall of 2020, get featured again by Apple. And then 2021, it starts building momentum. And so I know the end of the story, but. Fall of 2021, you quit your job. That must have been pretty nerve wracking. Where, where were you at at that point to,
1: to make such a big leap? Yeah, so I was kind of you know, I'm watching my revenue grow each month um, pretty much without fail. Sometimes a little bit of a dip, but generally it's been going up. So um, I, I've been watching that against the, the the salary I was making at the startup where I was working for the the last uh, two years prior to that. And fortunately, it's it's a really good company that I was working with. Um, And they were very understanding of of what I was doing. When I started that job, it was uh, two weeks before the 2019 launch. So before it kind of blew up. Um, And so I kind of kept uh, my boss, the CEO appraised of that uh, the entire time and he was supportive of that. Um, And as I was approaching the end of 2021, I was telling him I need to cut back my hours because I can't do everything I need to do anymore. Like I had no nights i had no weekends i was just exhausted because i was working more than two full-time jobs and it right. was it was basically killing me um so i was like I-, I can't keep doing this so let me cut down those hours for at least a little while and then most likely by january i think i need to call it quits and um just move to as full-time and yeah like he was just really really supportive of that everybody at the company was um and so that's kind of how it transitioned out um, I went down to basically like no time for like the launch the lead up to um to the iOS release that year and then after that I was working basically half time for the startup and doing the rest of my time with card pointers and then yeah january first switched over uh, full time to card pointers this year
2: that's uh that 's a pretty pretty sweet sweet way to go about it. I don't know if it, m- many, many folks would have this understanding <laughs> employers. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure I would even be as like, cool about it. <laughs> you know, don't <laughs> tell you, you, know, whatever. But it's a tough because you like, you want people and you want the, you know, but also CEO founders have a soft spot for anybody whose thing's taken off, right? It's like, great. So um, that that's actually really, I, it, it's really great in the sense that like, you got to make a smooth transition, right? And you didn't have to like, Totally let go of one thing to like jump grab onto the next, which I think that's the scariest part, right? It's like totally letting go to like leap and grab the next thing. There's a gap there that is super scary. Um, but if you can kind of like have some control on down ramping the one as you're up ramping the other, I think that makes it a little more approachable. Um and it's great. It's like you f- you're helping people, right? Like this is how the economy goes, right? <laughs> you found a niche, you're <laughs> serving people and it's growing. Uh so so that that's excellent. Was it your goal? Like, was that? I mean, it sounds like you were just doing this because you're into the cards game and you just wanted to help people. Um, w- was it ever like, was it, because a- I know there's there's this whole industry and community of like pass- or passive, passive SaaS or whatever, <laughs> like this, like indie hackers, like make, get to your 10K a month or whatever. Was that like part of your mission or did that just kind of fall into your lap as you serve people better and it got bigger?
1: Yeah, I mean, not in the beginning. I mean, I- I've always, I mean, the reason why I was working on apps is like, a, I love them, but b, I wanted to make a business out of it. Um, the thing that really kind of triggered that was back when I was working at Sandow, when I saw like that uh, the subscription revenue. And like I said, it was literally my sa- more than my salary coming in every year. And this is the thing I created from like with just me, just repurposing, like getting the the images from the production team and then just uploading them to a server and just you know managing like that whole thing. And I was like, wow, this is like multiples of my revenue. Like this is this is a real business like available in app stores. And I was that close to it, right? I mean, I was generating it, but I wasn't getting the revenue for myself other than my salary. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to, to grow that. Um, but like as because nothing had really taken off before, um, I was kind of looking at card pointers as my playgrounds to try out like the new APIs and the new features, because that's what I love doing so much. So now I would have a place to actually put that. But um, if it could actually generate revenue, um, and eventually, as it turns out now, like, you know, can make a living off of it, um, then yeah, that's definitely the, that's even sweeter. Yeah,
0: so so that's that's been a a, a lot of build up, uh, an incredible story. But I I do want to get to it. We don't have a ton of time left, but since going full time, the app's really blown up as a, as a business. So you've you've have, I don't think you've shared exact numbers on Twitter, um, but you've shared just how incredible uh the business has taken off since you went full time so i wanted to roll back to to january of 2022 earlier this year and talk through what are what are some of those those first few things that you were able to tackle going full time that really shifted
1: the trajectory of the business yeah so one of the big things was um getting out of just uh you know developing new features and kind of pushing that forward and focusing on the business aspect of it and, and marketing the app in uh, in better ways Um, And so I kind of had, uh, and at this point, now that I've switched to full time, I kind of have the schedule in mind. So I've been following that so far this year, which is basically January through about June. I'm going to focus on like business development, marketing initiatives. Uh, Then June through September, it's WWDC. So I'm focused on the next big iOS release. And then I'll focus on bug fixes, bring that to the Android version, which I launched uh, at the end of last year as well. um, And kind of keep going in that cycle, hopefully take December off fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but basically having like that plan for the year. And so that's, that's what I've followed so far. Um, and in January, from January to March, I basically tripled my monthly revenue um, wow. by introducing web checkouts, um, using the email addresses that I had for users um, who hadn't gone pro or had canceled who had churned. Kind of each month, what I'm trying to do is find one new way to generate some extra revenue. And so, you know, those first ones were great because I could spend all this time because I was no longer hampered with, uh, you know, working another job from like nine to six. I could actually work all the time for Card Pointers. So started putting a lot of this stuff together that I had been building up uh, for a while. So that was kind of fine tuning uh, an affiliate slash rev program with folks, finding the right creators for that. Um, offering discounts to users was a, was a really big one. So sending out and Stripe makes that really easy. Apple mm-hmm. has it through their promo codes, but you just can't do enough. Like yeah. with pricing, you can't control it properly with Stripe. I can set up any kind of coupons. I can set up any free trial links that I want. Um, I can easily extend a user subscription. Like it really empowers me as a business owner to be able to do so much more with the business. Um, and that has helped tremendously in growing revenue um, that. And um, yeah, I mean, that's really the, that's, that's, those are the, the biggest things. And then finding good content creators and and a way to then incentivize those users um, to make a purchase. um, That's been really good too. So uh, now I've got um, working with content creators where I've set up these uh, special partnership links that offer a discount for Card Pointers Pro. So that solves the attribution problem entirely, which is one huge problem with affiliates um, because, you know, you'll hear about something, but most people don't go to like a link in bio to click on it, right? Unless they're incentivized to. So now people go to like one of these partner links, they'll save, you know, 20% or whatever on a Card Mm. Pro purchase. And that Mm -hmm. takes them right to Stripe. So I save the extra money that I otherwise pay Apple, which helps keep me in the small business program longer, which is great. So eventually that's going to be like, you know, 150 grand extra that I'd save just by shifting this over here. Right. So that's really nice. Um, And I save, you know, uh, you know, another 10% or so uh, on the, uh, on the actual cost too, from uh, Stripe fees versus uh, Apple or Google fees.
2: In my impression, you transitioned really quickly into like, Hacking together an app to like growth hacker on mobile. Like you figured out a lot of you know most people struggle. I mean, not struggle, but like it's hard to like figure out different channels. And I mean, there's some structural advantages here. The fact that you have this login system, the fact that you started as a web app, I think that gave you some a leg up a little bit. It was a little bit easier to set some of that that stuff up. Um, but did you school up on this stuff? Were you just like a student of other apps? Like how did you like you know, when you set out in January, say, okay, this is this is growth season. Did you do anything or did you just start like, no, yeah, what well, makes sense, right? Was it intuitive or, yeah?
1: I mean, I, I like to consume a lot of things. So, like, I'll, I'll be like in a lot of David's webinars that he has uh, with, uh, with <laughs> Revenue Cap, for instance. Um, but I mean, I, I found a good community on Twitter with a lot of other indie devs. Uh, Curtis has been uh, on Slub Club before. Um, mm-hmm. And him sharing his numbers was hugely inspirational because they gave me um, actually like, I could actually believe that I could do this like on my own Um, and I don't need like a big team. And same thing like Christian Selig for Apollo, like um, those individual Indies gave me like, it just made me believe that I could do it. Um, So that was a huge help. Um, But as far as like, yeah, what things to try out, it was just learning from others, learning from like YouTube and Twitter and other places where I get like ideas for things. Um, I'll also look to see what other companies are doing, like in different spaces and different apps. Um, so all that stuff, I just like to try out and I'll experiment and, you know, I'll throw something together and put it out there and see if it works. Um, I had to try, I think I've done like five iterations of like that partner page and how it would work with a revshare program to finally mm-hmm. get one that clicks. And, you know, that finally clicked in March because of all that work. But I
2: had launched that uh, six months prior and it just wasn't going anywhere. Interesting. It's 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 this product channel fit thing that it, it, the product market and product channel fit are like something you rediscover over and over again. So that for instance, that that channel, maybe you had to iterate through it similar to how you had to iterate through the app to get five thousand users to like really suffer through like it not working. And then once it works, it's like, okay, now you've found free money, right? Like now you found something that works and it probably is, you know, perpetual and like maybe with some small maintenance, right? But but you shouldn't expect that any growth experiment or, or thing you try should will be perfect on the on the mm-hmm. first whack. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a smart way to think about it too. Like at first I was like, Oh, you do two days where you're going to do two days of marketing, two days of development. But I think actually having these like bigger chunks where your like brain is dedicated to it, it's kind of an interesting hack also because it's just such a different mind space, right? When building apps, it's like product and users and databases and like things like that. Right. And, and on the growth side, it's just a very different, yeah, it's a different mindset, right? Like it's more exploration and trying things and like um, <laughs> scrappiness in some senses as, uh, as well. So uh, uh, but yeah, that's really it's really cool. I mean, I think so many developers, I think Carpointers has been interesting to watch because so many developers go for like the standard playbook of channels, right? Which is like apps, subscriptions, app, Apple search ads, right? Then they're going to buy like display ads and like drive through just they like jump straight to like paid acquisition that way. And you were smarter about it. You're like, where can I find Like, what advantages do I have? And like, where can I find leverage in the sense that I have this like good signup process and I have this login system and I know how to do web and stuff like that. Actually, I think post post ATT, I don't know, David, if you agree with this, this seems like where more breakouts are happening than just in the like, you know, get your CAC LTV under control and then spend your your brains out.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, I think I think it's always been true, right? <laughs> <There> was <laughs> yeah, just, just like didn't this, have to, right? <laughs> there was just this brief window where where the display advertising clicked in a way that a lot of companies were able to spin up really quickly, and some of those are spinning back down. But I mean, a, a lot of the biggest uh, apps today, you know, from uh, All Trails to even some of the meditation apps and things like fitness apps with influencers, um, you know, th- they've they found that kind of product channel fit over time. But, but you did, Emmanuel, actually experiment with ads, right? And so tell me about some of those experiments and how they failed that led you to the experiments that ultimately worked better and found that product
1: channel fit. Yeah, so um, to to the point that I mentioned before, you know, I I learned a lot of things from Twitter and kind of the community I followed. So I saw a lot of people have a lot of success with Facebook ads. So I figured I'd I'd throw some money at that. And this is like right around like the time of ATT. I think I did some experiments beforehand and some afterwards. um, And I went through great lengths to make sure I could avoid installing the Facebook SDK in the app. Um, I remember at one point it caused like a bunch of apps to not even load because they had some mm-hmm. bug there. And like, uh, Facebook. it's Facebook malformed JSON.
2: <laughs> who, who among us has not sent a
1: malformed JSON to billions of users? <laughs> no. Right. Uh, so yeah, and in general, like I'm not a fan of Facebook. Um, so I was trying to avoid that entirely. So I went through uh, great efforts to use their API instead um, to kind of work around that and kind of run like my own attribution system and kind of uh, do like my own like AAA campaigns in a way. Um, but uh, that was just a lot of wasted money for nothing. I saw... Not a lot of results um technically everything like worked but i think people just you know they don't necessarily love ads and i've tried like the different approaches i've tried some uh, some meme creatives Um, i've tried uh like user testimonials those kinds of things and those just never really worked for me so it was just thousands of dollars wasted Um, whereas you know if i can get uh, like right now the, the most successful thing for me is the rev share um, and then sending out uh offers uh, to, to users to help capitalize on those users that all those users that I've had over the last few years, get them to give me money rather than necessarily like seek out a ton of new users. And now I've got kind of like this, this healthy split of both. Um, the content creators help bring in a lot of new users and then the things I've built in place because everything is really additive, right? Like over time, all the stuff I'm building, it's going to be useful like as I get more people on. So it kind of keeps feeding the machine more and more. Um, and so that's why now I'm at a really good spot. Like I said, I, you know, tripled revenue before I just doubled revenue, monthly revenue again, uh, basically two months ago to one month ago. Um, so the growth has been really good lately and I uh, super excited about that, but it's yeah, just a matter of, of doing like little things that add up. Uh, it really adds up
2: over time. Right. Especially if they're durable, right. They compound. So you figure one thing out, you layer it and then you go for the next product channel fit and then that, that layers as well. And then it just, it, it, you know, eventually you'll top out, probably some, you know, saturate the market or whatever. And then you'll have to like figure out another move. But like uh, you you only have to make these little incremental moves as long as they're durable. And then you can just move on and keep stacking stuff.
1: And the other thing is too, like with, you know, if you can keep like your costs really low, um, it's one thing I've noticed, like the companies that have been in the space before, they never last more than about two years because they need a team of, you know, 10, 20, 30 people to run everything. Whereas me, it's just me and my costs are literally hundreds of dollars per month. So it it makes it easy for me to make a good business. Helps if you can write custom
2: software for everything you do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real hack.
0: (laughs) So the affiliate and influencer marketing, I I wanted to step through that because it seems like that that is your kind of product channel fit that that so many apps need to find. Uh, and, And I think some apps might be able to just try what you're doing and find some level of success. But I think what's especially important is how you actually tried it. So what was, what was the MVP of, okay, I think affiliate marketing could work. What did you build out to, to test that? And then what, you know, what kind of gave you the, the uh, insight that it was maybe gonna take off and be a solid channel for you?
1: Yeah, so the first iteration of that um, was basically building a little attribution system myself. So it was really simple. Like if a user goes to a particular link, um, it just temporarily stores their IP address and then it makes that link to that person once they install the app, but it doesn't go through a third party. It's just all, you know, first party on my servers. Um, and so my first thinking was, well, you know, that'll work out great. Um, I can basically pay people, you know, percentage of the people who go pro in the, in the first 30 days after that event. Um, and, you know, people will be really excited about it. I can onboard a bunch of folks and it'll be a great source of revenue. And I got a few people, I think like five people was kind of my my launch set of affiliates. and. Um, it basically went nowhere. Like no one was really like publishing like the links very well. They weren't covering it very well. Attribution wasn't great because people weren't going to the links. Mm. They would see card pointers. I'd see user growth go up, but then I had no idea who to attribute it to. Right. So um that version didn't work at all. Um trying to get people onboarded, like it worked fine for the folks that I knew because I've been in this community now for a few years and I've kind of grown with a lot of the content creators that are now really good partners. But um at the time, um yeah, that just that really didn't that really didn't go far. So um, then I pivoted to trying to get people to do um, well, a, new people. I try to get them excited about it. Um, and most folks, well, i would say most, I'd say probably about seventy percent of content creators are kind of allergic to affiliate deals. I think they've been yeah. burnt in the past, or maybe they're just sick of seeing them. And um, so I, I came up with this idea of like a of being like a, a rev share model instead, and really pitching it that way. And um, that's helped a bit. But for the ones who, who don't believe in affiliates, what I would do then is do paid content creation. So I would pay them to do like a reel on in Instagram, for instance. Um, and so, you know, find like a, a mutually agreeable rate on that. They would create a video. And then I still had all the attribution system working and everything. So I could then share with them the stats. And I've always been very open with that with my partners. So they can see how many installs they get, how many conversions and everything else. Metrics that they don't have from any other advertiser because normally wouldn't share that. But I wanted to empower those people to be able to get that kind of information. Um, And so, what I would do is I'll pay for like one or two like paid reels, like two months in a row. And then I'll point out to the fact that if you look at your stats, you'll make more money if you do the RevShare model with me. (laughs) Like, don't do the paid video. Like, you'll make more and I'll make more. Like, let's keep it going. Um, And so far, everyone that I've worked with, except for one person, I've gotten to switch over to just RevShare. Um, I think two months ago was my first only rev share month and it was my best one by far. And I love that. Like I love being able to go back and pay creators for what they're doing. I much prefer that to giving more money to Facebook and feeding that ad machine. And I, yeah. I don't think most people like ads, but if it's a natural fit and it's these content <laughs> creators that are in this space, it's great. So they, it, they don't, it's don't like all. ads,
2: but if people are... Just telling them about a product, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in a not advertisorial way, that's fine, right? It's so funny. We've just, we've just, it's, it's, it makes sense, right? You have people actually, the, the big robotic Facebook machine has no credibility, right? uh, To it at all. Like Facebook doesn't care. They'll advertise whatever, pretty much. But when you attach a creator to it, right? Suddenly like somebody's staking a small piece of their credibility, on this product, right? Some and some are big, and some are small. And I think that's that's got to be the weight that makes these things propel, right? Is that you know y- you as a content consumer are seeing like, oh, this person doesn't is is somewhat smart. Like I've seen their other content is good, so if they're going to promote this, I, I I kind of trust them. Um, and that's a huge amount of leverage, right? um As opposed to just like something scrolling by randomly in the Instagram feed that you know anybody can pay for, um, which is really cool. And then I love the alignment thing too. I mean, it's one reasons I'm a big proponent of the way we price revenue cat like you want people to be aligned on your success their their performance being aligned with your success i think they're going to put more into it right they're going to be incentivized to do a better job and i think that 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 matters on the front lines of like uh awareness right if you have good if you're products in the mouth of people who care about actually promoting it they're going to do a much better job whether they you know intend to or not than just like the you know 150 bucks or 1000 bucks or whatever one paid reel uh is going to you know run you. so
1: and if you find people who are already using the app because the app now has been out for a few years and there's been that generous free tier like most of the creators weren't even using the pro version and then I would gift them pro and show them like all the features and they're like oh this is actually really cool I hadn't explored that part of it and then because they're users and they're fans of it it's really genuine and I you know consumers aren't
2: stupid like they're gonna see when yeah, you it's can real. tell when somebody's genuine right yeah, yeah even yeah. if it's paid you can tell when they care right it's it's i think it's something in human mistrust we know we know when we're being swindled right and so like <laughs> you can tell when somebody cares uh it's so cool too like we didn't talk about this at all we're out of time which is usually david's thing to say but uh <laughs> um, the fact that cards in this cards game is such a tight-knit community I think is a really interesting aspect to how you've been able to grow and scale becoming a legitimate member of that community first, as like a participant, and then, you know, befriending content creators, and stuff like that. It's kind of the tack we take. I mean, talk about behind the fourth wall with Revenue Cat. It's like, we've come from this community. And like, now we're generally engaging, you know, in an earnest way with the community as part of our growth. Um, practice. And I think that goes a long way. It also helps for like product understanding and a bunch of other stuff, right. Rather than being like an outside, you know, the chase bank credit card app or whatever that nobody's ever going to care about. <laughs> Cause who are you? Right. Yeah, so. sure.
0: As we wrap up, uh, you skipped over something and we could probably talk 10 minutes on this, but I, I just wanted to, to get a 90 second explanation. You went from um, I I don't have good analytics on my attribution. I just see numbers go up to then saying now you can show a creator exactly you know how much revenue they're driving. What was What's your now kind of 2.0 of your attribution stack to be able to get such detailed
1: analytics? Yeah. So the main thing is being able to integrate uh, Stripe web checkout. So that's the process I've been doing uh... over the last year or so. Um, but being able to do the payment and offering the discount right away from there, from the web flow. Um, and I've kind of, I, I've, yeah, I've kind of fine-tuned that, um, and now I've got it down to this flow where you don't even have to put in your email beforehand. You literally go to the landing page for the partner, you click on purchase. It gives a quick spiel about it. Hopefully, you're already you know the person's already sold the you know the app from you know from their side. So they click on it to get the discount. They go to Stripe Checkout, they pay that, and then it tries to link automatically based on that user's email. Otherwise, it sends them an email and it's like, "Oh, I had trouble finding your account. If you're new, create an account. Here you go. Here are the links." Um, and then that works out perfectly because attribution is perfect because I'm literally passing yep. um, you know the partner mm. name in the meta object to Stripe, and then I carry that through the whole way. So it's perfect attribution.
2: So if somebody just makes a purchase with an email that you happen to already have in your database, you'll just associate that and like probably 99 times out of 100. That's correct. Or maybe even higher rate than that. Right? Yeah, just um, sign in with
1: Apple throws a wrench into that um, because a lot sure. of people use the hidden relay emails. But the automated emails help solve that problem. And I tell people how it's to get that. allows you to link. So.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> really smart. So the key to a great affiliate program is to skip the app store. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just making smooth, yes, it's right. just
2: building a smooth experience, right? Like just remove yeah. the friction. The app store sucks for this. It really is just horrible. So just if you can imagine it goes to your advantage again, build every. So this is the official rule now Jacob's official advice. Start a progressive web app first with sign-ins and then build your <laughs> app later.
0: Man, Emmanuel, it's been so
1: great chatting with you. Uh, anything you wanted to share as we wrap up? Um, no, just uh thank you again uh, to, to both of you really excited uh obviously i've been a revenue customer now since uh, since the beginning and it's it's changed um you know it's changed my life and the business literally um so very thankful uh, for the the whole team behind that um but uh yeah looking forward to the, to the years ahead and uh, yeah keep uh, keep doing the podcast and showing information I, i've learned a ton and i'm sure lots of other people have as well
2: well, well, uh, we thank you for, for inviting us into your app <laughs> because we win and you win. So uh, we'll, we'll keep fighting for your business. Yeah,
0: it's still great chatting. Thank you for all the learnings. And uh, yeah, we'll have to have you on for, for an AMA and the community. And, and uh, uh, it's so great when people like you share so much of what they've learned. So thank you, thank you for today. And then thanks for you know, your engagement on Twitter as well to share what you've learned with others. So uh, it's great chatting. Thanks. Thank you so much thanks so much for listening if you have a minute please leave a review in your favorite podcast player you can also stop by chat.subclub.com to join our private community